folks to another episode of the midwestern nerds i'm chad coffin i'm brian stoffel and as always we welcome you back to another week with all the information that you love to know or know to love we are the midwestern nerds that's m-i-d-w-e-s-t-e-r-n-e-r-d-s that's midwestern nerds at instagram and at twitter at gmail.com is the email and the midwestern nerds on facebook you can find us at a bevy of different streaming services, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you find your podcast. Please remember to rate and review us. That is the way to get us out to more people who love nerd stuff just as much as you. Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Brian for the news. Let's jump into our headlines of this week, starting off with a promo that Marvel released announcing that the Loki Disney Plus series is going to be moving from Fridays to Wednesdays this summer. Starting on June 9th, there will be six 45 to an hour minute episodes on Wednesdays. This makes sense because summertime gets pretty busy, especially over the weekends. So why drop your big show on a Friday when most people are probably leaving out of town? Drop in the middle of the week when everyone's stuck at home, still working. You can easily watch it then. A handful of new trailers came out this week, including one for A Quiet Place Part 2. They made it very clear in the trailer that this movie will be coming out in theaters on May 28th. This movie also made the news with the creator of the movie, John Krasinski, and the star of the movie, Emily Blunt. They have been requesting a pay increase for this movie because the way that Paramount has their Paramount Plus deal going on is that new movies will stay in the theaters for 45 days and then go to the streaming service. Originally, A Quiet Place Part 2 was supposed to have a longer theatrical run. And their contracts were based off of the box office grossings. So less time at the box office, less money. They want more money. I thought that this was an interesting story to talk about just because Paramount Plus has this whole thing going on with their new movies. HBO Max has their new movies on their service right away, opening day. I feel like a lot of people in Hollywood making these movies are going to start to get real pissed off if all these streaming services are trying to take away their money by putting their movies on their streamers for free. More money, more problems. That's what I always say. Exactly. This fall, the Muppets will be bringing a Halloween special to Disney+. Plus. They will be spending one night in the Haunted Mansion and will feature the Muppets cast, celebrity cameos, and new music and spooky amusement for families to enjoy I think it's kind of interesting that the Muppets are going to be in the Haunted Mansion, especially when Disney is working on a new Haunted Mansion movie from Dear White People creator Justin Simeon. So got to get that exposure out there for that property. What better way to do it than with a beloved property, the Muppets? Continuing on with some more Disney news, especially with Marvel, uh, Dave Bautista has been doing a lot of press for the new Army of the Dead movie that's coming out later this month. And of course, people are asking him about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and Drax. He posted a tweet earlier this week pretty much saying that he's done with the role after Guardians of the Galaxy 3. In an interview with Collider, he kind of went into more details about that. One big thing that they talked about was he's thankful for the role and the opportunities that the role has given him, but he feels like Marvel kind of dropped the ball with the Drax character. If you know Drax from the comics, he's got a really cool backstory. They kind of touched on it in Guardians 1, then kind of brushed that off to the side and brought Drax into a more comedic role, which Batista then said, it's fun to do that, but it would have been more interesting had we seen more of this character's backstory, given them more opportunities to have a bigger acting range with the character as well. 
And the main reason why he's walking away is because once Guardians 3 comes out, he's going to be 54 years old. He's like, I'm getting too old to be doing these types of movies all the time. So whether or not they recast Drax or if he gets killed off in Guardians 3, because something that I found interesting on Facebook this week, too, was people posted the three Guardians logos from the movies and the color scheme that they used for the lettering was based off of which character died in that movie. So the first one, adult Groot technically dies, the lettering is brown. The second one, Yondu dies, the lettering was blue. This one, it's back to like a grayish color, which is Drax's color. So who knows if there's any weight to that theory, but it would make sense, especially if the actor is like, yeah, I'm done. But people who aren't done and want to stay in the comic book realm is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. You may know him from The Walking Dead as Negan. There was a lot of talks when Zack Snyder was doing his whole, not just Justice League, but DC Universe and the movies where people wanted him to be Thomas Wayne in the Flashpoint movie. He hasn't really confirmed if he's going to be in this movie, but it doesn't sound like he's going to. In an interview with Cinepop, he talked about how there's like a two to three year window left before he feels like he's too old to be Thomas Wayne in any kind of DC movie. He also added in this interview that there's so many superheroes. I like Lobo a lot. I have something maybe cooking and I'll let you know soon if that turns out to be but I love the world of comic books and hope that I get to stay playing in this world for a very long time. The two big things from this quote is he wants to keep doing comic book movies, which is awesome news because Jeffrey Dean Morgan is an awesome actor. And it sounds like he's trying to get a Lobo project in the work, whether it be a TV show, a movie, but it sounds like there's something going on there. He can't really confirm anything yet, but the fact that he's like, there may be something cooking means that there's something in the works there. Also, big on Instagram this week, photos have resurfaced online of a potential crossover that never came to be. Playmates, who made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles original toy line, tried to get some distribution rights for Star Wars to do a crossover. That classic TMNT action figure line had a wide range of different crossovers that they did. They had even a crossover with Star Trek. This went far enough to where concept art was drawn for these characters and the different mashups that you could have had with these action figures with the Turtles and with Star Wars, including Darth Shredder, Mikey as Chewbacca with a Donatello version of C-3PO on his back from Empire Strikes Back where Chewie had C-3PO in the backpack. April O'Neil as... Uh, Princess Leia, Leonardo as Luke, and Raph as R2-D2. And that is our headlines for this week. Now we're going to jump into our main news topic, starting off with probably the one that we're most excited for on this whole list. Legends of the Hidden Temple is going to be coming back for adults on the CW. The way it should be. Fuck them kids. (laughs) The new iteration is described as a supersized and reimagined adult version, so participants are no longer kids, but nostalgia-loving millennials. The Legends of the Hidden Temple remake, which is based on the game show created by David G. Stanley, Scott A. Stone, and Stephen R. Brown, will preserve many of the Nickelodeon series' iconic elements. These include Olmec, the giant talking Mayan head, the moat crossings, the steps of knowledge, the temple run, and all the original team names like purple parrots, blue barracudas, orange iguanas, red jaguars, silver snakes, and green monkeys. This time, the entire show is taken out of the safety of a studio setting and into a mysterious jungle with tougher challenges and bigger prizes. Five teams begin the journey, but only one is strong and smart enough to enter the ominous Olmex temple. Avoid the temple guards, retrieve a lost treasure, and return it to its rightful owner. This sounds awesome, not just because it's the remake of this game show that if you were a fan of Nickelodeon back in the day, you loved and adored. But this just sounds like an awesome reality-type game show in and of itself. I mean, opening up to an adult audience who has ties to that original show brings so much more 
to that property. There's so much more that you can do with it. You could go more into like the survivor type route or the amazing race type kind of stuff, expand on this lore a lot more and even just tap into, they use the nostalgia a lot, nostalgic millennials. So I feel like you're going to even get trivia that goes back to like the eighties and the nineties stuff that people our age would love and appreciate. So they have to bring back Kirk Fogg for this, the original show host. And the reason I say that is not only because he knows the show, it'll lock in that nostalgia, but he's he is relevant to this property because Nickelodeon released that Legends of the Hidden Temple movie that came out a couple of years back, and he was in it. Like they had him as like the tour guide of the temple. And they had him in it like, this guy's still around. He's still relevant enough. You have to bring this guy back. I'm sure he will. I mean, it sounds like they're bringing everything else back along with this and adding more to it. It would make sense to have him and maybe like somebody more, I don't want to say more relevant, but like... No, relevant, yeah. Somebody that can get the the other audience, like that that teen audience. and Like Steve like, Harvey. To like co-host, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why they wouldn't bring him back. I mean, even when they brought back Double Dare, like on Nickelodeon, that original host came back. Mark Summer. Yeah. It's I, like, here's the twist that they're not telling you is that Olmec will be voiced by Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get this question right. Oh, crrr. God, no. Oh, gosh. Please, no. <laughs> I watched three minutes and turned it off and never returned to the CW <laughs> ever again. But that's what the CW is doing lately that I think is really working. I mean, even with the Powerpuff Girls, they're taking those old, not old, those older shows um, that we all grew up with. They're trying to get that audience on that channel by, hey, let's take what you loved. Let's update it a little bit, but still keep it true to its roots. Reboot to the snooch. Exactly. They haven't announced when this is going to even be filming or anything like that they just the cw just got the rights for this this week we talked about her in the headlines before she's making her way back into the main topic of news and that would be emily blunt um she was on the howard stern show this week and of course along with quiet place Two and her other projects that are coming out sometime soon the big buzz around her lately has been the Fantastic Four. And people want her to be Sue Storm, and they want her husband, John Krasinski, to be Reed Richards. After this interview, I think it's kind of unlikely that that's going to happen. Because Emily Blunt is not a fan of the superhero shows and movies, and feels like they're kind of being overdone at this point. Uh, she told Howard Stern, We are inundated. It's not only all the movies, it's the endless TV shows as well. It's not to say that I'd never want to play a superhero. It would just have to be something so cool and like a really cool character, and then I'd be interested. And then he asked her about when she was originally casted to be Black Widow back during Iron Man 2, um, when she ended up turning down that role to do a different movie. Her answer to that question was, I wanted to work with Robert Downey Jr., it would have been amazing, but I don't know if superhero movies are for me. They're not up my alley. I don't like them. I really don't. You don't like making money? You don't like being like a household name for a decade and a half? Plus, I, I find that kind of hypocritical, too, because look at the different types of movies that she's been in already. Like, A Quiet Place is close enough to that genre. Even um, Edge of Tomorrow... Like, she was basically a superhero in that movie. I mean, she wasn't titled superhero. It's hindsight 2020. It is all it is. She's like, oh, I turned down that role because superhero, you know, roles really aren't for me. No, you turned down the role for what you thought would have been a better movie. And you watched the amazing success of the MCU and now Scarlett Johansson, who took that job, getting a solo movie, being in countless Marvel movies. She's just kicking herself is all she's doing. And she's trying to play it off like it's not the case. The only other thing that I thought of, too, is maybe like 
because how many times has it come out that like Marvel has talked to John Krasinski and all this stuff? Maybe she's going this far into talking about it to just kind of get the scent away because everyone wants her to be in this role. Everyone wants her husband to be Reed Richards as well to the point where like, if it doesn't happen, there's going to be a lot of angry and disappointed people, especially with how rageful people can be with the internet today. Mm-hmm. It would be stupid of Disney not to back that dumb truck of money to their doorstep and be like, please be our main characters. At the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, like that'd be disappointing. But in Feige, we trust. Like We haven't really had any a whole lot of bad Marvel castings thus far. None that can I can think of off the top of my head. So whoever they're going to pick is going to be the right fit for the role, whether or not it's them or not. So, yeah, she could be just throwing the scent off or it could very well be like, no, she doesn't like those movies, which then again goes back to what you said. The fact that like she's probably just kicking herself in the ass and that's why she doesn't like these movies. It's like the guy who... Um had the opportunity to invest in Apple at the ground floor or like in Microsoft at the ground floor. And now we'll only buy Android because he's like, Apple's dumb. I don't need an iPhone. It's like, yeah, cause you'd be a billionaire right now if you would have invested. Right. And our last uh, news topic stays in the Marvel comic book movie realm. Venom, let there be carnage released a new trailer this week and let everyone know that this will be only in theaters on september 24th this trailer was in my opinion interesting with carnage coming into this movie and with andy circus i thought maybe we could get a little more course correction with this franchise i know that there's an audience for the first movie but I feel like a lot of people felt like it was guilty pleasure at best. I get that most superhero movies need some form of comedy in them nowadays, but Venom, I feel like, especially the route they were taking, was just kind of weird and bizarre. And it seems to me, based off of this trailer, that they're leaning more into that, especially with the opening of the symbiote making Eddie breakfast and the whole apartment being trashed and then waffles and ketchup being blown at him and can we eat mrs chang well even that like i feel like his voice went a little bit dumber than it was in the first movie like it was still like that dark Eddie, but now it's like hey i'm i'm the champion hey Eddie. like sloth from the goonies why isn't there chocolate ordering mrs chang I want to eat you. I didn't think of that. (laughs) Plot twist. Woody Harrelson is now voicing Venom as well. All right. (laughs) But that's the one thing that I think redeems this movie is Woody Harrelson. I I feel like he's definitely bringing that creepy vibe into the role more than I thought he was going to. Like when he showed up at the end of that first Venom movie, I was like, why did they cast him to be Cletus Cassidy? But the little bit of dialogue that they showed in this trailer and just like his mannerisms, I was like, all right, I think I can buy this a little bit more. The like the manifesto that he's like reading when he's like kind of like openly talking to Eddie Brock, the scene where they're panning in on him sitting in his jail cell. He's given off some super like psychopath vibes and I'm, Loving it. I'm glad that they got rid of the uh, Ronald McDonald, Raggedy Ann wig and gave him a normal <laughs> haircut in this movie. Yeah. I feel like that was like the one choice that Andy Serkis was like, uh, no, we're not doing that. And I like that his introduction of Carnage is very much like the books where like it was injected into him. But this time it's like the death of like the death penalty, like injections that's turning him into Carnage. I think Carnage in this movie is like the only redeeming quality so far. I would agree. This movie comes out on September 24th in the theaters. At this point, I think I might just wait for it to come to Redbox and rent it. It's not one that I'm clamoring to go out and see. Unless another trailer comes out that sways me otherwise. At this point in time, I think we call it a Redbox night. And that is our news for the week.
Well, folks, we had a lot of different uh, movie trailers of continuing storylines and continuing universes, whether it be Marvel, whether it be DC, etc. Regardless of what Emily Blunt has to say, these universes are going to continue. They're going to grow. They're going to develop. And with that being said, we need more ideas for Marvel movies, Marvel TV shows. Yes, of course, Disney has a plan. Yes, of course, they, Marvel is involved. They have a plan. But in an event where they decided to sit down and listen to a third-rate podcast and get ideas for their future shows based off of a comicbook.com Instagram post that showed a couple of, I don't know what you want to call it, like... It was a hodgepodge handful of... Yeah, title shots, basically, of, oh, what could be of Photon, of, of these different handfuls of shows or movies that could be... And I texted my co-host and I said, Brian, you know, oh, we we should pitch which one of these we like best. And Brian kicked it back and he said, these aren't really that good. What if we come up with our own? So for the main topic this week, we are going to pitch you our ideas for Marvel shows or movies for side characters. We saw Scarlet Witch and Vision really get their dues in WandaVision. Now we see Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or rather Captain America and the White Wolf, getting their due in their show. Loki right around the corner. A lot of these side characters where they entered the MCU as something small, even like Black Widow, a small character that grew and now has her own origin movie. A lot of these side characters have a lot of potential based off of just what the comic books have to offer. So Brian and I took this week to come up with a couple ideas that we are going to pitch to you and you will have to let us know what you think is the best. So I've got a couple and some are more serious than the others. One was like one that I had a really concrete idea, but one I'll just throw out there right away just as a little teaser, a little, a little appetizer for you. I think it'd be really cool to do, um, a Baron Mordo show. So where did he go after Dr. Strange? Like he leaves and he just says, well, I can't do this. The ancient one is evil. I have to figure this out. And from the comics, Baron Mordo has a lot of like a lot of adventures and he gets tied up with a lot of different people. A Dormammu strange, you know, the ancient one and things like that. But his MCU return hasn't really been talked about and hasn't been teased. Was he involved in the events of Endgame? Was he not? And even so, what happened to him between Doctor Strange and Endgame? I think there's a lot of storytelling that could happen there. I, I would agree. I think, I don't remember how long ago it was, but somebody approached Chiwetel Ejiofor who plays uh, Mordo, about Doctor Strange and Marvel. Because, like you said, after the first Doctor Strange movie, his name and his character pretty much got forgotten Mm -hmm. by a lot of people. And I feel like he said that he's in Doctor Strange 2, but it sounds like it's more like, almost like a cameo uh, sized role. Uh, Not really in there. And I feel like the intent is to focus more on him with Doctor Strange 3, whenever that is going to be. Sure. Which would make sense, because, I mean, Doctor Strange had Infinity War and Endgame, like, to take care of in between this movie and the last one, and now he's got Wanda's problems and all the multiverse stuff to clean up, and that's kind of... It's very fitting for the Sorcerer Supreme, because that's kind of their role in like the comics. Mm-hmm. I I haven't read a whole lot of like solo strange series, but like he shows up all the time because of like some magical <laughs> with mystical a, with a in a bucket uh, like, to clean pretty up. Much, that's just like to the point where he was recently in Spider-Man and he basically like chewed him out like in a, like a parent being like I told you not to touch that. You touched that. <laughs> you screwed everything up. Now I have to come in here and clean up your mess. So it's it's fitting that that's kind of been his role lately, but it would be nice to kind of, like you said, go back to that that plot point that we established at the end of Doctor Strange 1 to figure out, all right, now what are we going to do with that? So that's one of my, like, looser ones. One that I was really 
more passionate about was doing a Sith and the Warriors 3. So this could be an origin tale from before the first Thor movie. This could be, um, we showed up and helped Thor in Thor, and then we were around during Dark World, but like, what about everything else? You know, and then we had the fall, like most of the fall of them with um, Hela and Ragnarok. Like, there's a lot of story to be told with Sif and the Warriors 3. So for those of you who don't know, Sif and the Warriors 3, Lady Sif, who is like the on and off again love interest of Thor in the MCU and in the comics. Fiance promised to wed, but never has wed Thor. Sif is, she has strength on par with male Asgardian. She's head and shoulders above every female Asgardian. Super speed, super stamina, super invulnerability, reflexes on par. Um, then there's Hogan, so similarly is enhanced strength. Superb hand-to-hand combat, Volstag, enhanced strength and endurance. He has the ability to consume vast quantities of drink. Volstag is my spirit animal. Um, Vandral is enhanced strength and he's a master swordsman. So we see these guys in both Thor and in Thor the Dark World. Then they show up again in Ragnarok. Not all of them, though. Just some of them. Uh, Sif is not. Sif is not. The Warriors 3 are, which was one of the things that I did not one of the many things I did not like about Thor Ragnarok was the fact that Got it to the list <laughs> was the fact that we've established and we've had these characters for like the first two Thor movies to so then just be like, yeah, we don't care about them. And, and they just die. wipe them away like nothing happened and how it just slaughters them with like little struggle. Well yeah and and too because and for somebody who's read Thor comics like that sucks because <laughs> they're really cool characters. Like they're really fun. Again, they're 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 Thor's best friends, and right. the fact that like they they're... were so disserviced that like they've they've done a good job of having the weight of his fam, like the loss of his family on his shoulders. But then you slaughter his friends, and like he forgets all about them. Too. Okay, that's fine. Yes, I feel like they those characters have been disserviced, and I, I agree. I would like them back in some way, shape, or form. I would love it if, like, we thought that they were dead and it was, like, an illusion of some sort, like Loki magic or something of that extent where it's like, nope, they're back, or whatever um, changes that were caused from going back in time with Endgame somehow affected, like... The events of Ragnarok to where sure. they ended up being alive. I would love to go on an adventure with those three and Sif doing something. Whether, like you said, whether it be like following their adventures in between scenes of Thor one and two, and even three, like when uh, they help Thor get off of Asgard and halfway through the Dark World. What happened to them then? Like they were pretty much fugitives then. You know, you could easily do like a... But then we don't talk about them until they die in the third movie. Exactly, exactly. What the hell? So those are my first two pitches. I'm going to leave the other two. One more serious than the other. Both, that's not true. Both serious. One you're not going to like as much as the other, though. I promise I'm not sandbagging you. But (laughs) let's hear what you have to say, Brian, for your, uh, your Marvel pitches. I have three on my list. And I've got them ranked from, like, least likely to probably most likely to happen. Two of them kind of deal in, like, the Sony-verse, which is why I feel like they probably won't happen. But I feel like I feel like one of them, there could be a loophole where you could get away with it, and the other one, you could take the concepts of it and apply it to some kind of Marvel thing. Sure. So my first pitch is... I would love to see like a Disney plus show of the superior foes of Spider-Man. This was a run that I've talked about a couple times on this podcast. I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast. It basically follows like C D level villains and them trying to rise up to power. In this case, it's five Spider-Man villains who are trying to become the next, the new sinister six even though there's five of them (laughs) their attempt to do this is to steal the head of silvio silvermane which is like the top crime boss in new york and he's 
basically a cyborg. So they're like, we steal his head, we can steal his knowledge, and we can get that power from the crime bosses. It's it's very much like it's a very comedic uh, series, and I feel like it would be cool to see somewhat of that with Marvel. I mean, we're getting more of. I don't want to call them side characters, but like your your Falcon and Winter Soldier supporting and, characters, yes. not side. We're we're getting more supporting characters being a main focus now. Let's go even further and see some of these characters that like even their comic book appearances, as ridiculous and small as they are, like there's still a story to tell there. You know, like. Where Dude, does... they fused Modoc and Robot Chicken. There's no everything is possible now. There's no, there's nothing that's off the table anymore. So as much as I would like to see, like, as some at some point Sony's going to do their Sinister Six movie in some way, shape, or form. After that, if you get some of these kind of like a joke villains to be like, we can do this too, and watch them fail and betray themselves while doing it. I think would be a fun show. Even if you didn't use Spider-Man villains, just take some Avengers type villains that are kind of a joke and be like, well, how come Ultron and Thanos could get away with, you know, almost taking over the world? Why can't we? Let's come up with our ridiculous scheme and heist to do it. So that's my least likely one on the list. The one character that I feel like could kind of be a loophole character would be Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. I feel like this is a character that they could have already introduced and had like as a background character throughout the Marvel movies already. But the fact that like she's got Spider in her title, well, then is she... Is she Sony? We own the Spider Universe, or is she Marvel MCU? Because the Spider moniker is like her only tie to Spider Man. She's basically her own hero, her own character. She starts off being mind controlled by Hydra and is a Hydra agent, turned Shield agent, turned superhero. And then her last like big run that she had in the comics, she was a private eye. Because she was like, I'm sick of people telling me what I need to be and what I should be. I want to decide for myself. I don't want to be an agent of some organization. I don't want to be another hero on a super team that only is called upon when the world is about to end. Like I want to do some good on my own. So then she becomes a private eye. And the interesting thing about that run, too, is that halfway through, she becomes pregnant. So now we have a pregnant superhero turn mother superhero, and you get, like, the single parent that's also trying to do the superheroics as well. Does she give birth like a spider, where she, like, like... 50 eggs at once, or did she just have a baby? She had a normal baby. Spider baby, or just a baby? Just... As far as I know, a regular baby. <laughs> Other than her name, like she's basically her own her own hero. I mean, she can stick to walls, but she doesn't have like spider webs, kind of like Spider-Man. She can like float slash levitate, so not really fly, which is why she has like the little web wings mm -hmm. that she uses to do like the like the flying squirrel <laughs> glide across the city. She also has bioelectrical energy that she can like discharge from her hands hmm. so that last run especially that i talked about i i really like this character and i feel like marvel could have used her stay away from the spider caller just call her jessica Whoa. drew or even she her hydra code name was arachne so like not full spider but if her name is spider woman and the problem we have is Spider-Man. We'll just call her... Woman Spider. <laughs> we'll call her... Whoa. W-O. It's the only part of Spider-Man that isn't part of Spider-Woman. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Boo! Get out of here! Alright, fair enough. That's a good one. I like that. Um, Spider-Woman is 
truly really not portrayed in any other medium than comics. You know, there's she sprinkles in from here to there, but really she has had her own cartoon series back in like the way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think again, like especially female characters back in the day get buried in popularity of male characters, but also because there was such a following of other TV shows where Spider Woman, like, oh look at Spider Woman, like Oh, okay, fine. But with her Hydra ties, her shield ties, her Avengers ties, she's like a very key element to Secret Invasion, that storyline. Mm-hmm. To the fact where it's like, how have you not introduced this character in some way, shape, or form already before you get to that? I feel like it's the reason they haven't used this character yet is because of the spider and spider woman. But I feel like there's a loophole where you, where you could get around with that. So... That's that's my my medium level. Like this could maybe happen. All right, save that last one. I got some sandbagging to do. So to get my idea, my brain flowing, the idea juices going, I reached out to a couple of listeners of the show to see what they thought. Uh, one of the individuals I reached out to was none other than Kyle, who has been a guest on the show. He's a guest editor of the show. Um, he edited our last show that had the Avengers draft. The whole time, all day, he's like Snapchatting me while he's listening to it. He goes, we're not even five minutes in and you guys are talking shit about me. (laughs) It's because we love you. Uh, But now I'm going to do it as well. So I text Kyle and I say, is there one or more uh, MCU characters you think deserve more screen time, like possibly their own show or movie? He goes, "Um, the kid from Iron Man 3. Okay. Valkyrie. Okay. Peggy Carter. <laughs> Which do, do you know why this is funny? Because she had her own show. She had her own show already. <laughs> when uh, Peggy Carter got a show already, LOL, he's like, what? Really? <laughs> I'm like, yep, it's called Agent Carter. He's like, oh, shit, I forgot that existed. <laughs> I'm like, uh, we've just bumped you down the list of guests uh, for a couple more months. <laughs> Uh, so, sorry, Kyle, had to sandbag you quick, but you deserved it. Um, the next one I will talk about, I want to save this last one. Uh, for, I want to save one for last. This was one that uh, my wife actually pitched to me because it's a character that she really, really likes a lot. And you could tag team it, you could tie it into two characters. So, the show that I would pitch as the Daughters of Titan doing a show that shows the origin or like the childhood and the growth of Nebula and Gamora. So two characters that all the time talk about what it was like with Thanos, what it was like growing up, what they were like as sisters, always battling. There's a lot of story there. There's a lot. And I mean, we see that little snapshot of when Gamora gets taken off her planet, but what's the snapshot of when Nebula gets taken off her planet? Like, what do we see them growing and battling and Thanos picking her apart, putting her back together? Like, I think we could really, really utilize those characters and really grow their mythos from the back up again. Kind of like I talked about with the Warriors 3, the back up again. So we learn more about them, find out where Nebula comes from. We find out the truth. Like, was everything always as bad as it seemed? It- after he murdering like half the population, probably it probably was as bad as it seemed. But I think it'd be really cool to Zoe Sandala and Karen Gillian are great actresses. I think they could really put in a lot to these shows, um, whether they're there as like um, if they have to bring in like younger actresses to play like the younger versions of themselves. I think they could be on there for consultants and things like that. But also, um, you know, the twenty and up years they could have, of course be involved, but. I think, again, with the huge fandom sur- surrounding Thanos now after these movies, I think picking apart more of his backstory along with this show would be something that people would really be all over. There's just a lot of potential that you could do with it because we've seen both Gamora and Nebula come back to Grace, but we didn't see the fall, you know. Um, we got glimpses of Gamora, I guess, in Infinity War when she got taken as a child, but what drove Nebula to be as bad as she was when we first saw her to then her progression through the first movie and into the second movie until she eventually kind of sort of starts to turn? 
so you can you could get that flip of instead of having Gamora be like the quote unquote good character and Guardians one and Nebula be the quote unquote bad. It could start off with Gamora being just a complete bitch and Nebula being like constantly getting thrown down by her until she's like, you know what? No, screw you. Like I'm gonna start standing up for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact too that they were working for Thanos and not doing good things you could also make them the villains of the show and have a completely random different cast of characters from some planet that's being overthrown and it could be like a a mini series and Mm. you're you're getting uh an outside perspective of them while also still getting glimpses of them trying to destroy or take out or conquer a planet there's there's so many different things that you could do with a backstory that really hasn't been explored yet. I just like the title. <laughs> All right, Brian, what do you got for us? The most realistic to then turn around and come back to me for probably the most unrealistic. <laughs> so my most realistic pitch is a character that I actually recruited in the last episode to be on my team. That being Nova. I feel like you could easily introduce Richard Ryder as Nova in Guardians 3 and carry him on into his own show, movie, some kind of franchise. What we learned in Infinity War is that Xandar and the Nova Corps got wiped out by Thanos when he went and got the Power Stone. This is a very good spot that I feel like you could introduce Nova into the mcu in the books he's very like i said in the last episode he's very much like marvel's um green lantern type character where he gets this power of this intergalactic army essentially uh from a dying soldier in the books during the annihilation uh storyline the nova Corps gets totally wiped out except for him so him being the last remaining Nova Corps member, he's got all of the knowledge and all of the power of the entire core now. So since we wiped out the Nova Corps in Infinity War, we could bring in that character, introduce him in Guardians, have him help out some somehow there. And then his movie or series could be following the characters, how he copes with the aftermath of everything that happened now wielding all this knowledge and power of essentially a planet to then recruiting new members in the series that followed that annihilation storyline it is him basically flying all around the universe trying to stop all the evil and save all these planets by himself to the point where he's just completely wiped out and he's like i need some help here he starts recruiting a bunch of people a lot of different uh, aliens and people that he doesn't totally know. He also decides to um, put the new Nova base on a dormant ego, the living planet, who is not dormant and then tries to take over all the Nova power itself. So you could easily bring back Kurt Russell. You could bring back Ego. Somehow, some way, he survived and... You could have him be the big bad guy. You could go with that storyline. Or you could just introduce somebody completely new. Or choose a different cosmic being, but still keep that. I'm recruiting a bunch of people I don't know. Can I really trust them with this power? Can I trust them to uh, assist me and help me out when I need to? And start the movie off with him being like, I can't be everywhere at once, no matter how hard I try and no matter how much power I have to do it. Sure, you don't want to use Sam Alexander. You want to stick with Richard Ryder? I I like Richard Ryder. Um, that's I was introduced to the Nova character in this series that took place after um, the Annihilation, and I really enjoyed that series. It's not in print anywhere at all, so I can't really get my hands on it anymore. But I did read it once and. To me, Richard Ryder is the badass Nova. He's the guy who's like, I am Nova. This is me. Sam Alexander is the kid Nova, uh, champions Nova. He 
is like trying to figure himself out, trying to understand all this stuff. So I would agree with you. If you're going to like hit the ground running with a Nova character, that's who I would want it to be too. You establish your Nova and then while he's recruiting the rest of the Nova Corps, that's where you could then introduce your Sam Alexander and then throw him probably into the Young Avengers at that point because... Exactly. As much as I would like champions to exist some time down the line, if you were introducing him that soon, it would probably be on the Young Avengers team. For sure. All right. I don't know if you're going to love or hate this. So I'm going to pitch this idea. I'm not going to tell you who the character is until I'm done pitching the idea. This person has had very, very, very limited screen time. They showed up in a movie and they showed up in uh, one of the post-credit scenes. So this individual is a telepath with extremely accurate telekinesis. Also a super extended lifespan. Originally part of um, a Soviet Union space mission, but when charted course for the moon, it fell off course. So after the shuttle falls off course, this character mutates and gains these powers. Never originally had these powers, but after floating off course, gains these powers. These are comic book related information. So later becomes Nowhere's chief of security. And then also was a part of Star-Lord's Guardians of the Galaxy for a while. Now currently in the comics resides as a Nowhere Corpse member, which is a Nowhere Vigilante group. So this individual shows up in Guardians of the Galaxy at none other than Tanelir Tavan's museum. He is captured in the movie Guardians of the Galaxy when him and Rocket are growling at one another. And then later, the quote that can be heard by Howard the Duck is, why do you let him lick you like that? I'm talking about none other than Cosmo the Space Dog. Oh my gosh, really? (laughs) What a huge sell for what is later, oh man. But yeah, so I didn't realize all this about this character until I was like, I took my Marvel encyclopedia yesterday and I just was, I just flipped it. I would flip it to a page and look and be like, "Mm, no good MCU characters. Flipped it, no good MCU, flipped it. And I came across Cosmo the Space Dog and I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, there's something to this. And I went back and looked. I knew he was in uh, Guardians, but this is a cool story, is it not? (laughs) A telepathic, telekinetic dog that lives way past the lifespan of your average dog or human that is the security chief for nowhere, joins the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point, and now is a part of a vigilante group on nowhere, which is a planet that was born out of the head of a celestial? Unless it's Guardians 3 or Guardians 4 with a new team or the the Nowhere Core. You had me sold on the Nowhere Core. Let's let's make that a series. But Cosmo the Space Dog, the series or the movie. You have a tree that talks and a raccoon that shoots guns. But we can't have a telepathic dog. Do either of them have their own movie or show? Not Do right now. Rocket the Raccoon Not yet. Show or a Groot TV show? We have a Christmas special coming out, and that's as close to a Groot show that we have. Groot got killed, and then they brought him back. He was so beloved. And he he's not telepathic. He's a giant tree. But he was a part of the Guardians movie. Yeah, well, maybe he should I'll give you I'll give you Cosmo being the next on like the the new Guardian. He's on the short list of Guardians. Yes. I'll, I'll give you that. Or give me the Nowhere Core movie TV show and have him be the leader of it. Okay. If you got supporting characters around him. But the space dog, the dog dressed as an astronaut, I don't. So the Nowhere Core. You would have had me sold more with Howard the Duck show than you no, would. No, no, that's too. That's, he already had a movie. We can't go back. Time marches on, Brian. No, I just, I, the more I read about this, I thought it was really cool. But I agree with you. Doing a Nowhere Core, like, TV show would be cool. Where you bring in, like, um, what's, uh... Did they say the other characters that were a part of that? I no, they, they didn't. I didn't dig into it enough. Like, what if they bring in the guy 
what's his name uh, at the end of Guardians 2 that's wearing Yandu's uh, like prototype fin? Oh, Whatever the the second yeah Sean Gunn so him then you bring back um, let's say for some reason uh, Chibs from uh, from Sons of Anarchy he survived they got him back they they got him and then Taserface and then you know two other guys that are were part of the the Ravagers and then you get a couple other ones maybe Sylvester Stallone pops back up again and shows up in a couple episodes and maybe you know the Ravagers are part of this nowhere core group all this talk bring on Guardians of the Galaxy the old guard and have Sylvester Stallone and his crew like follow them doing whatever they're doing Vin Rames Sylvester Stallone Michael Rooker, like, pile it all in. That would be so sweet. Look yeah. at us, pitching ideas. We're, we need to get a meeting. Expendables meets Guardians of the Galaxy. Nice. All right, folks, so those are our pitch ideas for this week's main topic for Marvel TV shows and movies. You heard it here first. If Cosmo the Space Dog shows up in another show, you know somebody's got their ear to the ground for the Midwesterners podcast. Ear to the ground because we're a third-rate underground podcast, basically. That is the end of our main topic. And now we've checked out a lot of things, but you know what it's time to check into? The ch 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 check That's right, folks. Just a two quick topics for you this week. One is wild and strange for an individual who hasn't been around football for almost a decade. He's had a much smaller white ball in his hands. Tim Tebow has been rumored to have signed a one-year deal as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know. If that fails, <laughs> he can always go back to baseball. I he guess. can go back to baseball and be a, uh, a AAA Mets player. It is, I mean, I think this was a move the guy should have made 10 years ago when like quarterback didn't play out for him being a quarterback in the NFL didn't pan out for him. He's a great locker room presence. He's a great guy. He's very athletic. He could have panned out as a tight end, a fullback. Like there's a lot of different things he could have done, but now so many years later, so many years removed from the game. In addition to that, there's a lot of stir on the internet with like, really Tim Tebow can get a job. But Colin Kaepernick is still out there. Yeah, I saw all that. So there's a lot of that stuff going on out there with this, but who are we to report on that? Hey, if the football doesn't pan out either, go for the trifecta and try to get recruited on the Knicks or something next year. (laughs) 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 All right. Yeah, he'll just slide over from Jacksonville to Orlando. He'll just be playing with the Magic. He'll be fine. Yeah, there we go. And then our other topic for this week. So... One thing that doesn't happen very often in sports, because obviously the lifespan of athletes is much, I shouldn't say lifespan, the career span of athletes is much shorter than that of any other career that exists. We often work from the age of 18 until 65 or later to retire. These individuals usually retire much, 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 much younger in their 30s, sometimes their 40s, but father sons nonetheless What I want to talk about this week is five-star college basketball recruit and top five entering freshmen this year for college basketball. Patrick Baldwin decides over Duke to commit to Milwaukee. This is Midwest news, which is really cool. It's sports news, so we can chat a live check down it. And it's something that doesn't happen all the time. I wanted to do a little bit, kind of like when we did the draft, uh, we talked about fun facts of the draft. I went and looked and on 247sports.com, they have ESPN's top five father-son duos in sports. I probably could have gone to ESPN and found this, but 24-7 had it first. So, Patrick Baldwin is to play for the Milwaukee Panthers. And the reason I'm talking about ESPN's top five father-son duos is because his dad coaches at Milwaukee. He's the head coach there. Here's the first thing I'm thinking of. How does that dad do his best to not pressure his son into coming to play for his team. Because you can't be that guy, right? You can't be like, come on, man, come and play for me. Like, you can't push the kid when he has offers from Duke, very possibly UNC, Kansas. There's a lot of teams that were knocking on the door. Brock Chuck. Um, There's plenty of different teams that are probably knocking on the door. And then 
Milwaukee. Milwaukee, I don't even think has appeared in the in the big dance in the big tournament for probably over a decade. Like they haven't been relevant. But you bring in a top five talent, you make the big media scene of the father son duo, the coach and the top five player. Who knows? We see you know you know BU Milwaukee in the final four in a couple of years from now. It's the only thing the sports world will be able to talk about. So we'll see. ESPN's top five father son duos in sports. The first one includes one of my most hated sports figures of all time. Do you know who one of my most hated sports figures? It's an NFL quarterback, retired now. Oh, so not Tom Brady. No. Tom Brady, no. I I would rather serve Tom Brady whatever food he wanted off of the top of one of my most expensive pops, open box, before I even talked to this other individual. Peyton Manning. Cannot stand him. His brother, Eli, and their dad, Archie. All NFL quarterbacks. Unfortunately, Cooper didn't make the cut. But again, almost a dynasty in the making of these three players. Super Bowls, MVPs. It, it, it's you know crazy to see. Eli Manning, the Tom Brady slayer. Out of the NFL, we move into NASCAR. Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Sr. Dale Earnhardt was one of the most prolific NASCAR racers of all time, died in a wreck at Talladega. And then his son, while racing at the same time, then did really pick up and run off on his own career as well. Bobby and Brett Hull, two great NHL players who did play side-by-side on the ice at times. Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. To the point now, Ken Griffey Jr. being such a prolific player, There are arguments on the internet. There are petitions on the internet to make him, with that backwards cap and the batting stance, replace the current MLB logo. (laughs) So that would be pretty cool. And then last and certainly not least, we will say they're the least because there's possible conflicting asterisk-related stories behind it, but Bobby and Barry Bonds. Again, it's so cool to see teams that have not necessarily the same team, but even leagues that have parents and kids playing in the same league or coaching in the same league. I get a big kick out of just being, I'll ump one of my, you know, my son's games. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be involved. I'll ring them up if I have to. Like three. I get really weird looks when I get way into it, but come on, man. You swing it one out your knees, you deserve to get rang up. Easy as that. Quick in and quick out. That is your Chadillac checkdown for this week let's turn the corner not the comics corner but right down the road and let's give you our best stuff recommendations for this week i want to add one thing to the chat like check down before we jump out of it real quick after the summer the next father-son duo that's gonna be making its way on that list is lebron james and his son teaming up with the tune squad against aig you know, it's not as real the son of that movie, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. I'll make it short and sweet. My best stop recommendation for this week is a spinoff of your best stop recommendation more than once on the show in the TV form, and that is Amazon Prime Videos Invincible. I shouldn't say it's Amazon Prime's. It's Robert Kirkman's. It is the comic book adaptation of a very The Boys-esque cartoon comic book. To say that The Sixth Sense takes a backseat to plot twists to this show, I know is an overstretch, but this show has a lot to it. You watch the whole first episode and you're like, oh man, I can really get behind this. And then someone, one animated character literally rips another animated character in half. Like, and spills their blood everywhere. It's like, oh, 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 what? Their blood, their guts. Their blood, their guts, eyeballs popping, skulls getting crushed. Like, it's it gets wild really, really fast. The voice cast for this show is extremely impressive. Steven Ewan plays Mark Grayson. Sandra Oh of uh, Grey's Anatomy plays Debbie Grayson. J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson, Whiplash, everything else plays Nolan Grayson otherwise known as Omni-Man. You have Zay Beats, Greg Griffin, Kevin Michael Richardson, Walton Goggins. It goes on and on and on, this list of voice actors for this show. One that, again, I love, Jason Mantazukis, who every single thing he plays, either live action or voice, he's a douche. And again, in this, 
is a douche. They do such a good job. I think I now know. I don't think. I do know for sure. I know now why they greenlit a second and third season already. They're like, we don't need to see the second one to know the third one. Here's the money. Figure it out. We're behind you. This series was the first show in a while that when it ended, I was like, more now. I want more now. I can't leave it right here. This is not where it can be stopped. I need more now. So I'm going on like, I'm in a show hole. I'm going on serious like <laughs> like withdrawals right now, but uh, trying to fill it with other garbage. But this is an amazing show. And if you can get, uh, some people get hung up on animated. It is this show ain't for your kids. It's for you. And then if you love the show, jump into the books. Because I think I think the books are a little bit better. I mean, that goes to say with pretty much anything out there. Usually the source material is the way to go. Although I will say that I felt like this was a good companion piece to the books. They change up a few things to make it a little different. They expand they extend and expand some things to more so than what they do in the books. And they also kind of move things around makes, mixes it up, keeps it a little interesting. That voice cast alone is hands down like amazing. And this is one of those series that it takes familiar things from other superhero genre type things, but then like makes it its own. And then takes it to that next level, wherever that is, whether it's action, whether it's violence, whether it's gore, whether it's even just, hey, we're going to talk about something that isn't really talked about, or we're going to take something that's been talked about before, but give it a completely different spin and add that much more weight and gravitas to it. This is definitely a series, whether the show, the books, what what have you, that you should not sleep on. Jump on it. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. My best stop for the week kind of sort of follows the main topic loosely. My best stop for the week is a new five-issue limited series that plays off of Marvel's What If line. So What If... There's going to be a show coming to Disney Plus this summer about it. Kind of takes a look at the other side of big decisions made in the Marvel Universe. So using the Disney Plus show as an example, what if Agent Carter got the Super Soldier Serum instead of Steve Rogers and becomes Captain Britain? What if Yandu and the Ravagers pick up T'Challa and Wakanda instead of Peter Quill? This new comic book series is called Spider-Man Spider's Shadow and looks at what if Peter Parker, after learning the symbiote costume, is an alien that's trying to bond with him. What if he decides to keep it instead of give it up and becomes Venom instead of Eddie Brock? The first issue kind of treads along some familiar lines to kind of get you back into that time period of when the story was taking place. If you're a new reader, catching you up on um, some themes and elements of that story, and then just kind of goes off the rails from there. Reed Richards looks at the suit, tells him what's going on, and Peter's like, this gives me more power and abilities to do better what I was doing than before. Like, screw you, I'm keeping this suit, and, like, basically beats them up and goes away. He gets into a tanglement with the Hobgoblin, embarrasses the Hobgoblin in the act of it. Hobgoblin follows him and then attacks him when he's visiting Aunt May and then goes farther than you've ever seen Spider-Man go before, and that's kind of where the first issue ends. The second issue came out this week. If you are in the Oshkosh, Fox Valley area, probably didn't get the chance to get your hands on it because it went very quickly. They're getting more copies in. I know this because I was one of them who unfortunately didn't get my hands on it this week. But if you aren't in the Oshkosh area, if you get your comics from online or wherever you get them from. How dare you, you should be ashamed. Powers, Green Bay. If you don't live in Wisconsin, Go to your comic book store, check this out. 
it's being written by Chip Zdarsky, which right now is one of the hottest comic book writers right now. Um, his Daredevil run is one of the best Marvel titles on the line right now. He's doing a bunch of work for DC as well, which is also selling like hotcakes. And his independent work has been doing really well as, as well. He's kind of like the next big name right now in comics, and he's writing this series. The what if lines always interested me. The things that always I thought could be better was to expand them more because usually it'd be like one issue of this is what this would look like if this would happen and that's it. Where now they're kind of taking that line and they're like, well, let's stretch it out a little bit instead of containing it to one issue. Let's give you five issues to tell the story. That was kind of always the what if shtick. It was one book that came out. What if? The Silver Surfer got the Infinity Gauntlet. What if it was only ever one book, but you're right. It would be nice to see some of those stories get fleshed out a little more. So now Marvel is kind of exploring that a little bit more with their first entry into this new line with what if Spider-Man became Venom in Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow. I love it. As always, we give you two great best stop recommendations. We give you a little bit of sports, an amazing main topic to really meld your mind thinking about the future of the MCU and Disney+. And now, remember, we are your Midwesterners. That's M-I-D-W-E-S-T-E-R-N-E-R-D-S at Midwesterners on Twitter and Instagram at Gmail. Is our email, the Midwestern Nerds Podcast, on Facebook, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty other places that podcasts are found. Please rate and review us. Reach out. Let us know what you thought of our TV shows. Let us know what you would think. What would you watch? What would you get behind? What would you back if it was a crowdfunded project? Not that Disney needs to crowdfund anything because they own more banks in the U.S. probably than the U.S. government does. Anyways. This parting is such sweet sorrow, Brian. It's so hard to (laughs) say goodbye. But for your Midwesterners, I'm Chad Coffin. I'm Brian Stoffel. And whether it's beer brats, comics, or pops, keep keep it nerdy.